This meeting is being recorded. So welcome back to another Impact Sessions podcast with me, Nick Bramley. Got another great guest for us today. I've got Darren Gittins, who's the managing director of a company called Verplas. All will be revealed about what Verplas are all about shortly. And I've entitled this podcast, um, OK, throw something else at me, why don't you? Now, again, that'll become clear as we explore the conversation with Darren. It's been an interesting time, to say the least. But uh, to explain more about OK, throw something else at me, why don't you? Welcome to the podcast, Darren. Uh, good afternoon, Nick. Um, how are you doing? You well? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, yeah, great to have you on. Uh, you know, we've worked a little bit together and I've, I've seen your business develop, develop and evolve under your management uh, over the last couple of years. We'll explain where that started from. But uh, yeah, I was keen to, to, to get you on and, and talk about some of the things that you've done that are really impressive. So not building you up too much, but let's see, let's see what that might look like to the audience, shall we? Okay. Excellent. So um, I always say to my guests, first of all, tell us a little bit about, about your business. So tell us a bit about Verplas. What do you do? Where are you based? Who are your customers? That kind of stuff, really. Okay, so the, the business is Verplast Limited, uh, based down in Verwood in Bournemouth, uh, about 100 employees, 12 million turnover, uh, and effectively it's a family-owned business uh, originated in 1986 that was acquired by Indutrade in 2014 as obviously part of the Indutrade, a group of uh, 200 country, companies across uh, the globe. Okay, and so, what's, your, what's your product range then, Darren? So we manufacture extruded plastic ducting, uh, extruded components for um, ventilation industry predominantly, and then we do specialise extruding for caravans or trailers or, or that sort of thing. So anything to do with extrusion or plastic moulding. Okay, so we'll talk about some of the challenges of that, I guess, around COVID, supply chains, all those kind of areas, I would guess, as we go through. But um, let, let's talk about your sort of background. I think, from what I understand, you were involved in a a successful business sale in early 2020 and and I, I assume you took a little bit of time off uh from business at that time but we all know what happened in March 2020 and uh it wasn't until October of that year that you took on the role of MD at Verplas um was the break longer than you anticipated at first and and what attracted you to Verplas when you got to October okay yeah so I'd, I'd worked for quite a big business before that was was really struggling it was about 150 million pound turnover the bit i was looking after was 40 million pounds worth of glass and fortunately managed to sell the business out in december of 2019 before it probably went into administration which was a really big feat so yeah when i came into uh, 2020 i was looking forward to maybe three or four months off before starting a new assignment um obviously the job market had changed massively covid had kicked in uh, and the sun was shining, uh, and that kind of all came together for me to have a bit of time off. I, you know, fortunately, I was okay uh, with a few months off. But uh, yeah, October soon came round. Um, but really, for me, it was finding the right business, uh, and the right business for me was a growing, forward-looking group of companies with future development uh, that believed in culture change in the people. So that was the criteria, and that was the biggest thing that attracted me when I came to see Verplas. You could see there was a business that was crying out for a bit of love, shall we say. It didn't mm. feel very lovely. The employees didn't. Okay. Well, we, again, we'll explore that. One of the reasons I've got you on is I think, you know, what I've seen from a distance is some of the impact that you've made around culture and, like you say, loving the business and, and the staff 
development, but also putting the customer experience at the heart of what you were doing and what you do now. But um, I guess, it, yeah, it seems to remember, yeah, the first part of, of lockdown, the sun was shining for a long time, wasn't it? So mm, young family and things, you got uh, opportunity to spend some time with the, with the, the family? Yes, it was, I mean, great to be at home, see more of the family with a 14-year-old daughter. Um, I did lots of building projects, including a, a log cabin at the top of the garden, which I'm sure most people do. So, yeah, it was good to have some time off uh, and gained a little bit of weight during that time, for sure. But you were ready in October to come back then, yeah? Ready in October to come back, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Am I right in thinking that you live in the Midlands? For those who are listening internationally, you're right in the middle of the UK, and Verplast are based on the south coast. What, what's the distance between where you live and where the business is based? It's about 200 miles. On a, on a Sunday evening when I travel down, it's about three hours. Uh, mm-hmm. If I try and travel during the week um, to get back, maybe a Thursday or maybe a Friday, uh, it can be over four to five hours. So, yeah, there is a bit of a distance. Mm-hmm. And although it's not ideal uh, being away, it's something, uh, you know, working at Pilkington at one stage, I was looking after 25 sites of, for engineering. Uh, across the UK so traveling has always been something I've been very used to really but uh, it had to be the right business to to travel and live I live away uh, four nights a week down in, uh, in Bournemouth. I was going to ask you what the sort of balance was between the sort of working from a distance typical working week remote management remote leadership it's it's pretty hands-on still is it despite all the challenges that we've had with social distancing working from home directives that kind of, you you've been in the office more more than not then? I've been in since starting October. I've not been um, out of the office at all, COVID-related, because um, you know we've we've kind of worked for, within the offices. We've had separated meetings. We have a morning meeting every day, yet we still do it via uh, Teams, which is quite quite amusing. Uh, but it still seems to work. Um, I'm at least in the office four days a week, uh, sometimes five. But but no, you find a way of working around. And I think when you're new into the business just walking around the shop floor, even socially distance is, is very, very important. I make sure I go and see the night shift uh, at least once or twice a week. So it's very keen to be uh, to be there. So yeah, the COVID restrictions are much better now, of course. Um, but during that time, just walking around, even in a bubble, uh, was better than, than not being present. Yeah, I, I can imagine, particularly as it was um, a business that we're going to explore in a minute, probably needed a bit of TLC and, and you know, you had some immediate sort of plans it was functioning okay but I think you had some early ambitions to do something with it and you know you can't do that very easily from 200 miles away and and probably not having met all your staff at that stage if you were just sat in in Nottingham or you know up, up towards the Midlands I guess. No absolutely and some of the challenges we had uh, you know rolling out culture change program has to be done face to face and you can do it with a maximum of 10 groups so we found a place within the factory spaced all the chairs out a huge distance paid it up to make sure people could hear uh, but we can only do 10 at a time mm. and bearing in mind there's 100 employees you've got to do 10 sessions to work around the clock monday to friday so that was a bit of a challenge yeah uh, and even the monthly brief i, I brief all employees about the key issues i do it uh, on a video uh, put it on youtube and send the link out to employees so we've been trying to find as i'm sure you understand many ways of, of communicating in a more difficult time. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a good challenge to have, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. At, the end of the, at the end of the day, you could have easily sort of said, well, we can't make it work and we'll do whatever. But um, I think what you've done is you've looked at it and said, I've got some immediate ambitions and some early changes. 
was that based around communication or was it based around the customer? What was your initial priority, I guess, when getting into the role, into the business? Well, I mean, I'd been through, I'd worked for Pilgrim for, for many years, Pilgrim Glass, and we'd been through a culture change program uh, around 2010 to 2016, which was phenomenally successful, both from a business performance and a, a, an individual and a personal point of view. And I knew that uh, the next business I went into had to be about improving people's lives. This is not, I'm not at an age in my life where it's just about the money, it is making a difference. Um, so the first thing I did when I came into the business uh, was to do a diagnostic session uh, using a third party uh, company I've used uh, in the past at Pilkington, very good on culture change. Uh, they did the diagnostics in the, um, in, tw- in the November of uh, 2020. I came in the October mm. uh, and it was quite damning. I mean, if you're going to want to know people's opinion, you ask them. If you don't want to know people's opinion, don't ask them, but don't believe you can improve the business. And it came back that the organisation was very, very unloved. I mean, I won't go into the finer details mm. of, of what was said, but basically uh, the, the people that did it said that in the 35 years of doing these diagnostics, it was the worst uh, results ever. However, there was a core of, you know, the core of the people was still this kind of never give up kind of fight so you had this kind of mismatch of people very 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 disgruntled and very upset and treated badly but fighting like mad to say we love this business and we wanted to succeed mm. so you what you really needed to do is to try and find out what you needed to do and communication was poor there was a, a culture of blaming of, of you know people kept the ad down people didn't you know speak the mind uh, and what we tried to do over the last 15 months is allow a culture where people can speak the mind and they can, you know, open up and what have you. So that was the starting point uh, with regards to the employees. Well, we've done a get survey um, in in twenty twenty one, and it was much improved, hmm. but still, still lots to do, really. Yeah, but your starting point was quite low, so you're not going to improve everything in one go. And and I think it's quite nice to know what the starting point is very early because you're not under any illusions, then, are you? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I talking to the people, I mean, I would say that if you take culture at zero with, with no culture to 100% being your fantastic culture, yeah. um, I think we've probably gone about halfway, mm. but we didn't start at zero. We probably started at, I said minus 30, we've gone to 20%. <laughs> uh, the people, who, a guy called Will Elden, who, who was supporting us with this, said actually you've probably gone from minus 60 percent to plus 20 so we've come an awful long way and if you speak to people we've come a long way Mm. but we're still fairly early in the journey because where you've come from and that's important to recognize the improvement but recognize you've still got a long way to go I mean culture's not about telling everybody they're happy Mm. culture's about making sure that people feel they're in an environment where they're valued and respected and then therefore uh, can can be an happiest environment but what I would say is, and you know this as much as anybody, culture takes time as well, doesn't it? It's not an instant, not a quick fix, not a quick fix at all. So, listen, I've had the pleasure of having a couple of your, well, more than a couple of your team on various things that we've done through the Indertrade family over the, the last couple of years. And and I've noticed, even as you know, a workshop host or a webinar host, the the change in positivity. So it clearly is 
outwardly facing as well, you know, representing the business in a slightly different way, a more positive way, a more upbeat way. And, uh, you know, you've got some great staff, the ones I've, I've uh, met. And I think it's, it's probably a good starting point that you've got this disenfranchised staff, but they still want to work for a lovely business. And so, you know, you've probably had the best of both worlds. Starting point, at least I know it's not great, but everyone's in it and we're up, we're up for the challenge. So not a bad starting place, yeah? No, no, absolutely. And I think what was key really was that in the past, the senior management team was changing so frequently. I mean, I think there's 24 senior managers in the previous six years. I mean, that's not a good sign. Uh, and the people that, that were below the senior management team were picking all the pieces up and mm. some senior manager come in, smash your tour to bits, and then they go or leave or, or we fired or whatever. You, and it's left with the team below. And actually, that was the wrong mentality. So what I've developed is the, is the team below to become the senior team uh, with lots of training, lots of development. You know, you've supported in that. And so there's a real ownership now. And that's that's really, really important that we haven't, key, you know, just just didn't keep bringing in new people mm. the people are great here they just weren't rec- told they were great they weren't recognized as being great they were absolutely fantastic because they were so good at running the business that the clowns uh, and the senior management team that was destroying the business were not good enough to destroy it because mm. the people below were so good in protecting it wow. uh, and i think that was that was the key really so yes we've now got a very clear vision and values and strategy we've got a two-year plan We've got targets that people buy into. So there's a lot of clarity now, which I think mm. uh, helps massively. And e- even in the 12 months, um, you know, we've seen massive improvements in, in, in lots of areas. So. I think it sounds like they had a life expectancy of a Premier League football manager, some of those teams. And, some of the people, and, and, you know, constant chopping and changing gets you relegated, doesn't it, usually? So it's uh, it's probably a good thing with a bit of stability. Um Interestingly, in terms of that culture and vision, that helps towards you know understanding everyone's pulling in the same direction, all that kind of stuff. I want to explore something that I've definitely seen around your focus on the customer experience, and you've gone through investors in customers. Is that right? In, uh, through the process, so you, you're not shy at getting stuck into stuff, are you? You know, in terms of we'll take on a culture change, we'll take on investors in, in customers, we'll take on big programs and things. Um, You've improved the CRM system, increased training, focus on customers. Why was it the f- customers and not just sales that you focused on? On you know from an early day, an early stage, Darren. Yeah, I mean, I think from from experience, uh, we seem to have these measures like on time in fall um, measures or employees. So we, we try and convince ourselves that's the voice of the customer, the voice of the employee, and it's not the reality. It's measures that we use. To measure our own internal performance, not the what the reality by the customer. So again, you need to get on your big boy pants really, uh, and and ask the customers. And again, what you get back uh, can be quite difficult. Um, and often, and I've sort of said this, that it's, the reality is not important. The perception is important. So if if you believe you're servicing the customer really really well, and you're bending over backwards and doing stuff, but they don't think you're doing a good job then perception is the only thing that matters. Mm. And actually going to see the customers and to asking them was a hugely beneficial part. And they said, you know, no one's ever asked us before. No one's got, you know, been interested in uh, what we needed. So although the IIC survey meant that we, we was awarded a bronze award, 
which is good, is bronze, silver, and gold. So we got bronze on the first attempt. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of we love you very much and we hate you very much <laughs> and everything between. Um, so yeah, lots lots to work on. And uh, just your point on the amount of change, we needed to get this business robust because it wasn't robust. The feedback from the last diagnostics was, "Come on, boss, I think we're changing things a little bit too quick, and you know, let's make sure." Well, we, we complete things, and this year, 2022, is more of stabilisation. So it's it's a, a sort of looking looking at finishing the project and looking at embedding behaviour, embedding, embedding yeah. process, and that kind of thing. Yeah, okay. Um, what advice would you give somebody listening or watching uh, this podcast about their own focus on customer experience? Because it's quite a dangerous place, isn't it? If you're not big boy pants, as you called them, you know, to 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 normally you hear stuff that you, is not comfortable if you you're doing it for a reason you're doing it to find out that we're not really that great and you know how would you advise someone listening to this to, to to put the big boy pants on what would you say to them well i think the the issue you have is that salespeople build a very good rapport and, and rightly so with the, you know the, the supplier or customer uh, so when they go and see them when someone our salesperson goes to see one of our customers often the conversation is is everything okay yeah everything's fine can i do anything else no it's fine uh, and it tends to be about you know not the donut run that sounds a bit harsh but but also making sure it's just a kind of is everything okay the good thing about the iic survey investors and customers survey it's anonymous um so people will give real feedback so if i if you ask me uh, you know what do i think of you i'm going to say you're a lovely guy if you've got an anonymous uh, feedback you might uh-huh. then say well um these are areas that could be improved uh, and so that was really interesting and then the other thing we did was to look at the we did the product matrix which uh, we we stole entirely from you from one of your courses and effectively listed the, the products that people buy uh, by the number of uh, customers and we realized there was massive gaps throughout um and so when we started asking the customers um, why did you not buy those products? They didn't know that we sold those products, which is a, a, a terrible sin. Well, so I, I'm going to stop you there. In my in my world, I'm absolutely passionate about removing the phrase "I didn't know you did that" because it happens so many times. You know, you and your team probably feel like you've told them that you got this product, but they see you as a supplier of product A, and they've never associated with B, C, or D. And doing that product and customer matrix is a very easy, I call it fag packet prospecting, really. You look at it and go, well, why are they not buying that? That always goes with that. Why are we not? And it, it's a good win, isn't it, for you? Um, but that it's actually good for the customer as well because it makes it easy for the customer ordering from one trusted supplier like yourselves anyway. So it, it makes sense to do that, I guess. No, absolutely. I mean, it's, we was looking at how we grow the business with new customers, which obviously is always a challenge to get new business, and then the competitors are going to kind of kick, want to kick back against that. Yeah. And when we look to the amount of business, we've got millions and millions of pounds worth of potential business with our current customers. So why not love them to death, do a really good job, expand the product range, and focus on on servicing those? Because I think most companies uh, just scatter to more and more and more customers. And what you're doing is spreading yourself thinner and thinner and thinner. Mm. What we're trying to do is to focus uh, more onto less customers, more of the product category or the, the customer category that we need mm. and love them to death. That's what yeah. we're trying to do. 
Well, I mean, it makes sense because the, the, the thinner you spread yourself, the less management you can give them anyway and the less love you can give them, can't you? So otherwise you end up resourcing it you know, massively with, with internal staff and internal account managers and you know, no business wants to throw all that resource at it. So um, I'm going to go back a, a step to culture. Um, you've mentioned it a couple of times. What, how would you define the culture that you're trying to, and, and to a certain extent, succeeding already in implementing at Verplus? What would be the headline keywords or phrases that you want your business to be described as, you know, once it's embedded and once you've gone from 20, well, minus 60 to 20 to whatever, you know, what, what are the key phrase or words you'd love to be associated with, Darren? Well, I mean, we have a, we have a vision uh, as, as a lot being, and it talks about being market leader, innovation, you know, ex- excellent customer service, which is um, not unusual, um, but we underpin those with lots of behaviours of how we're going to treat our customers and treat uh, treat the employees. Mm. Uh, and, and part of the vision is through an unstoppable team. Mm. But if you create an unstoppable team on site, then what can you not solve? Mm. What problem is going to be too big for you? Um, and you know, customer in everything we do uh, is is kind of core to the business. So it's really about uh, and engaging and empowering the people to be get on and do the job at all levels in the business that they can really expand and, and grow and uh, uh, and and use the skills. Where at the moment we feel that you know they kind of pushed down, told what to do, and they've got no wiggle room. Mm. We've, we've taken the constraints off. So unstoppable. Um, team would be the the kind of biggest phrase for me that's a great headline and and to be fair it does allow people the opportunity to challenge and say well why do we do this and i've got a good idea for that and uh, one of the side issues i always find with organizations like yourself that are going through what i call really positive measures you know investing customers culture change programs genuinely investing in training and development is um I'm assuming that things like your staff absence have dropped off, you know, people taking sickies that because they weren't, they weren't really engaged with the business and all that kind of thing. So there's a, there's an upside commercially and operationally, isn't there? Has that been a, a factor? Has that, has that happened? Massively. I mean, it was just, we've got our quarter one budget meeting or board meeting um, next month and uh, we're putting together some of the key factors and uh, one of the team raised that our absenteeism uh, and sickness level has kind of dropped off the end of the cliff mm. and if you look at that the turnover of staff three years ago was pretty eye-watering uh, and now the turnover of the staff is, is tiny and if you look at the individuals it's probably people that think i'd you know i, I like being you know mickey taken i like being toxic i'm not going to fit in this new organization and devote mm. with the feeds but you know one or two in the last few months where it was it was almost daily at uh, three years ago. So yeah, that measures great. You yeah. know, in simple terms, you know, we put a budget in, uh, we've smashed it in sales, we've smashed it in profit in year one. Yeah, um, and uh, we've got a, a, a doubling of profit in year two, um, and then a, a, a kind of a, another big jump. So this 2020 to 2022 is going to be the record uh, profit ever made by this business in all its time. So we're not we're not only going with a change in culture, but we're going to you know, kind of stand by the fact there's going to be an improvement and a, mm. and a benefit. But the culture change, the focus on the customer, all impact on sales in a positive way. Now you're probably doing quite a lot of work around the sales function anyway, but the first two 
lead to the third one, don't they? And I think you can't separate them, and therefore that's it's almost like a guaranteed output. If you get the first two right, the third one will come along, and that's great to see. And you know, it genuinely, you know, it's very, it's a proud thing to see the figures, but actually the culture and the investing customer bit is the bit that's probably more, there's more pride there because it's, that's what led to it, I guess. Um, I've got a couple of things I want to, I want to talk about. One is um, you're part of the Indertrade group, Indertrade UK, and obviously global as well. How much does having a network of other businesses and other MDs um, help you in driving your own business? You know, I've been lucky enough to work with the Indertrade family in the UK. I've been to various conferences and spoken and, and hosted things at, at various conferences. And I always find there's a real energy about them. You know, how do you find it as a as an MD with fellow MDs? Good best practice sharing. How does it work? Yeah, I'll give you a strange strange answer, really, because you, I mean, somebody who's worked with lots of corporate businesses, you often have this kind of synergies and standardizations and um, best practice, and sometimes it can really dull down the kind of entrepreneurial spirits. Now, with Intertrade, I think they've got the right blend in the sense that they say. You know, it's your business, you run it the way you run it, and we're not going to interfere with that. And, and reality, they don't. Mm. But we do have regular conferences, cluster groups to look at, sharing suggestions. Uh, the biggest thing is probably training. Uh, the quality of the people. I mean, I mean, I went through five interviews to get the job as MD. I mean, it was not a relentless task, but it was making sure to get the right people. So when we have the conference or the cluster groups, um, you know, it's a real good interaction. So, no, we don't, we get very little direction of how to run the business, mm. but an awful lot of support, training, free training for all employees, mm. which is fantastic. Uh, obviously, we've been on lots of your courses, but, um, yeah, giving enough wiggle room to be able to, to take responsibility and accountability, if you like. Excellent. Let's come to the title of the podcast. Okay, throw something else at me, why don't you? Now... Here we go. Working hard, managing the home life balance, four days on the South Coast, <clears throat> long commute on a Sunday and a Thursday. Um, you're transitioning the business culture. You're going through investors in, in, in customers, managing a global pandemic, supply chain issues, I'm assuming, product range sort of issues and all that kind of thing. So then what do you decide to do? You decide to have a heart attack. Okay, how does that work then? You know, first of all, I don't think you decided to have one. How's your health, first of all, Darren, today? And secondly, what the hell? Talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, no, I didn't uh, I didn't decide to have an heart attack. Uh, my health is, is pretty good now. I had, I had a triple heart bypass at 49 years old uh, back in uh, um, September. Um no, in October, first of October was the operation. So I'm three and a half, four months in. Yeah. Um, hoping to start playing football soon. So from that point of view, I'm very driven. Um, it appears that when they did, uh, when I had the heart attack in September, um, there was two uh, functions that was creating it. Firstly, uh, out of the three arteries, one was blocked and had been blocked for years. Right. Uh, so basically saying for many years, you've been running on two cylinders, but we don't know how long for. But I'm very driven, so I'd be up in the crack of morning all day, driving at night time, you know, staying in hotels, probably overliving, yeah. probably over socialising. You know, let's let's be honest, we all like a, perhaps a drink when you've uh, arrived at the weekend or whatever. So, um, and the second thing is I, I suffer from sleep apnea, which means that I'm constantly waking up 
in the middle of the night, which puts a lot of stress and strain on your heart. So actually now um, my heart's fixed with the shuffle bypass. I'm on a, a sleep apnea mask. Mm. That means I don't stop breathing uh, overnight and I've got lots more energy and I've stopped snoring, which means that uh, I've probably saved my marriage as well. So it's a, yeah. a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Win-win. So it's, that's good to know. But how did that, how did that mortality thing, because you got a warning and, and, you know, you should, I guess, take that as a, as a lucky sign that you got a warning. Some people sadly don't get the warning, do they? How did that affect you personally and professionally? And how did the team step up in that sort of time scale? It's very worrying across the board, family, friends, colleagues, business, you know, how did that transpire really? I'd like to say I'd completely change my life and my outlook on life, Nick, but I haven't. And I don't think I ever will. Um, you know, I'd rather be, a, you know, living my life uh, than, than being alive and not living my life. So I, I've made some adjustments, but I'm not going to slow down very much. Hmm. Uh, as far as the team, they've been absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, but, I, you know, I have a great commitment. The night before I had the operation, uh, where I was told I had a 1 in 50 chance of dying, I'd have to, I, I did a, an email will because I've not had a will. I had a drip in my arm. I had a bandage on me. Uh, my right wrist looking like Keith Lemon. Um, and I did my monthly brief uh, for the employees because I didn't want to let them down. And that was the night before the surgery uh, and there afterwards. But I've got to say, um, you know, they, they protected me very much. You know, I did uh, post-surgery, you know, check with them and, and, and do stuff. But they've really stepped up. Mm. Uh, it was noted by the business that things had plateaued uh, as far as the, the rate of improvement, but not, not gone down. And actually, ironically, we have uh, every month uh, ABCD awards, which is going above and beyond the call of duty. Three people, gold, silver and bronze, are nominated by employees mm. and then voted on by a, a cross-company um, panel. Uh, so it's not management. This is the cross-company. Uh, and in January, I'm very pleased to say, I was nominated and awarded the gold ABCD award for commitment to the business uh, during those difficult times. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't have accepted it because I go above and beyond. But I think if I can't accept it uh, post heart attack, I, I never would. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great place to be and you feel fit. I mean, you're saying you're not going to change your lifestyle. They've changed it for you by sticking stents and sorting your heart out for you, mate. So yeah, I think in some respects, you know, you, you've got a bit of new lease anyway, haven't you? So, it, um, yeah. so that's good. Take it easy when you're playing football, though. 49, mate. It's not a good... Uh, you, you're probably more likely to tear some muscles now, aren't you, than do other other internal pro, uh, uh, damage. What, what, I've got to ask the question. What Are you six aside, five aside? Or you, tell me you're not 11 aside at 49. No, no, no. I, I've not been 11 aside for a long time, just six aside. Uh, we've actually uh, set up a Verplast football team, uh, which is great. So it's, it's another great bonding experience, to yeah. be honest with the team. Good stuff. Did you learn anything about your leadership and management approach? I mean, you were a year into the role you'd had the benefit of building some of your team around you, doing the culture change and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like very, very early in, in your role at Verplast. 12 months in, I, was your leadership management stuff that you'd done in the 12 months up to your heart attack, it, in sort of, did that have an impact on, on the performance of the business whilst you were you know, out of action, as it were, do you think? Well, my, my leadership style is always to appoint good people, uh, support them, coach them, promote them, and then let them do the job. So 
ironically, although I was less available post-surgery, um, they were still they're still allowed to do the job. I mean, my favorite saying is that why employ good people and tell them what to do? Mm. There's just no point in doing that. Mm. Um, so I think from that point of view, they had more freedom to to expand and to grow, and, and it really did come on, and that was fantastic. Mm. Um, but I think they was probably starting to get to the point where they needed a bit more guidance, especially around culture yeah. and other things. So, you know, when I got back in the business, or that spoke to them, you know, it was like, this is great stuff, what next? So yeah. that's, but as far as changing my leadership style, no, I, I don't think I have really. Okay. I've got a, I've got a, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher this phrase, but it's, um, if you employ people and tell them what to do, you get workers. If you employ people and trust them to do the right thing, you get leaders. That's probably butchered, but it's a version of that. I think, yeah. And I think that's probably where you are. You've got a set of you know, leaders and managers who are, are up for the task and up for the job, aren't you really? And, uh, you know, it is a journey for them. They're not necessarily always be ready on day one, but it's good to see that the business didn't cave while, whilst your, your, your leadership was, uh, was on a hospital bed and a recovery bed. So I'm glad to see you back to your, your full health as well, Darren. So uh, that's good to see. Um, so as we come out, I've, I've, got, I've got written down here, as we come out of the pandemic, brackets, fingers crossed, because I don't want to touch in wood. How much of what you've been through as a business and, you know, things like the challenges, we didn't really touch on the challenges of supply chain and, you know, I, I guess the Suez Canal got blamed for a lot of stuff, didn't it? <laughs> All the sort of uh, container stuff. How much of what you do now is different to what it was pre-pandemic and will stay because it's good practice? You know, have have you shifted the business to ways of operating and doing things that you wouldn't have even dreamed of pre-pandemic? Yeah, I mean, we've done all the, I mean, the, the business uh, and probably the country and maybe the world is not, it's changed so much in the last 18 months, two years. And, and as much as I think we'll all open 2022 was going to be a year of stability, I'm not convinced. Uh, and uh, and although we've, you know, things like Zoom and Teams that we would have thought was not possible before, it's clearly very, very possible now, including customer visits. So that's lots of change. I mean, we've done lots of change to improve our service and quality and perception to the customer or our quality of communication because uh, unfortunately we're putting price increases through we don't want to put price increases through and i'm, and I'm not the subscriber that says charge a customer more but you don't you know give them a poor you know good poor service mm. so i think the, the the problem we're in at the moment like many businesses with raw issue the raw material supply and the issues around that sometimes the service has got a little bit worse I would say if we did the IOC survey now, we may have gone backwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had price increases of 110%. We went with the three price increases last year uh, and already this year, and we're only what, a month into this year, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing price increases coming again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you know we, we, we genuinely only pass on the increases to the customers, but it, it, it becomes almost a never-ending uh, scenario for all of us passing it down the line so uh, yeah still lots of challenges and off two of 2022 might be a little bit easier but yeah. fingers are, you custom- are you customers more accepting the fact that it's not verplas as in you know you'd have to live in a cave to not know what's going on 
in the wider world, but you know, some customers still, in my experience with other co- other clients of mine, you know, they still say, "Well, I demand and expect this." You know, even though the, what they're asking for is ridiculous and, and, and unrealistic. Are your customers a little bit more in tune with with the, the global situation? The customers are absolutely in tune um, with what's happening, and they have a lot of sympathy for what we're going through. Um, but obviously, it's painful to keep going with price increases, price changes, uh, and although they'll obviously use the manufacturers increase the price, there is there is a, you know a pain of of doing that. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of products that come from Europe seem to be the ones that say take it or leave it. It's sixty percent increase tomorrow, and if you don't want to buy it, we'll send it to somebody else. So you've got this fate to complete straight away and then you go to your customer and say i'm really sorry we're gonna to have to dilute the, the price and increase it so i think it's just that relentless uh, battle uh, that we could just do with some stability really do you do you feel at some point you'll get back to, i mean it, it's it's really about supply and demand isn't it at the moment and raw materials and the raw material costs have gone up simply because of lack of raw materials if if raw material um uh, availability became better in the second half of the year do you think that would have a, a, a better impact on prices or do you think it's like the gas and oil industry where the barrel barrel goes up and it's at the pumps tomorrow it comes down and six months later you've lo- you the knock a penny off you know is it going to be that or or do you think there's going to be some global if you like leveling out if, uh, of, of, of you know expectations supply chain or is it just a reality of, of getting through the year this year I think in time the, the, the cycle will complete and, and a lot of this will reverse and you know when supply starts to increase again of course supply and demand is going to mean that prices are going to start to come down mm. um, I've seen quite a lot of um, questionable um, supply issues in Europe so some of the big companies like BAS, BASF who supply resin to most of the world They've got you know five plants and a one plant you know is down for maintenance and then surprisingly enough another plant goes down when that one comes up so I think there is a little bit of uh, you know ensuring demand and you know is is still being uh, higher than supply um, but I think at, at some stage it will undo I mean we've tried to use surcharges as a mechanism to say it will go up and it will come down again. Um, but it gives, you know, the feedback from the IAC survey was that customers didn't like the certainty. They'd rather have the price increase now, uh, deal with that. And then if I have a price decrease in the future, we'll deal with that. But I don't see, I don't see 2022 is about any price decreases. I think if we, uh, I think it's still going to be more price increases. I think probably 2023 is going to be stabilisation. And by 2024, the world might be getting back to some form of, normality whatever normal is and i think the prices will start to come down again then it's been a long old slog hasn't it you know it, it genuinely hasn't and as i say the title of the uh, the title of the podcast is okay throw something else at me why don't you you know so if we throw in their supply chain we throw in their culture change we throw in their understanding that you, you you were in in a business that that was minus 60 Invested in in in, in uh, customers and then the heart attack. You've had quite a journey, haven't you? Really. So I guess I'm going to ask for the final question there at this stage: is what what's next for you and what's next for Verplus in your ambitions for 
both yourself and the business, apart from getting back to kicking people on a football pitch very soon? Well, well, first, it's getting kicked on the football pitch. It's kick the boss. We might as well rename it kick the boss, actually. But it's, it's very good. I mean, I guess talking about the business, I mean, we've got a very clear vision, values uh, and strategy uh, and behaviours. And what the team have done is put together uh, we wills, we won't. You know, we won't take the mickey. We won't lie to customers. We won't do this. We will help and support the team. So there's a real understanding of where we go. And we've got a two-year plan with all the targets, not just financials, employee surveys, employee satisfaction, engagement, lots of really good things to, to measure as a, as a business. So I think there's a lot of clarity on, on where we're going as a business. Uh, we're getting good investment from India Trade, lots of training. Uh, so I think the business is in good shape and there's a high level of confidence moving forward. Um, I think that as far as uh, next for Darren Gittins, I think really is uh, keep growing the team um, driving the culture, trying to get the momentum with the culture. Because I think we had a really good start and it did drop off a little bit. You know, if, if the person at the top is not fully behind culture change, it will always fall over. It can't just be the senior team. It mm. can't just be pockets of people. Um, but no, leading from the front, probably not slowing down as much as I should do, but I'll try and keep a, an eye on my blood pressure and my uh, medicine, etc. Um, and, and changing people's life. Is that's all I'm interested about now is genuinely improving people's life. And when people knock on my door, uh, genuinely saying, thanks very much. You know, uh, I had somebody leave the business the other day, gone to be, well, gone to work for BMW and said that without the confidence that they've been given and the course change and the skills and the training, they would have never felt they were good enough to go and work for BMW. And they've gone delighted, absolutely I mean, delighted. It, it, it's, a, it's a sort of a, a parent child, this fleet, you know, they, they leave the nest pride moment isn't it really you, you know it, you're losing someone but you're losing someone based on the impact that you've made on them and, and you can't keep everybody forever and, and that's great to see listen this has been an absolute brilliant lesson in leadership and you know culture and getting the best out of the business and it's it's fair to say Verplas is in brilliant hands Darren going forward so I've, I think you've been a, a fabulous guest you've shared some really interesting sort of insights for our our audience uh, on that subject those who are watching this on youtube you'll see the slide which tells you you know where else you can have a look at the, the whole podcast series the impact sessions is available on impactus-group.com that'll take you to all the links to itunes spotify youtube google play whichever uh, you, your popular podcast platform that you prefer um, i've also put darren's contact details on the final slide but they'll also be in the show notes on whichever platform that you use. So if you want to engage with Darren, you want to talk to him, or you want to buy any extruded products for the sectors that he services and his team service, I'm sure he'd take a call. So Darren, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being a fantastic guest. And uh, I wish you luck on your health side of things. I wish you luck on the football pitch. And above all, I wish you luck with your team at Verplas going forward. Thanks, Nick.